Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. I appreciate your presence, and that is certainly an encouragement to me. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to stand before you this morning and bring to you a message from God's Word. I hope you have a, a Bible or a Bible app with you, and we'll open that up and follow along and check the things, make sure they're by God's Word, to make sure you're not led astray, and to make sure you're not deceived. That's what we're going to be talking about in our study this morning, is deception and how it relates relates to the Christian. Jesus cautioned his disciples that as his followers, they would inevitably face some form of deception, and they needed to be prepared for that. They needed to know how to deal with that, because inevitably, you're going to face some form of deception. In speaking to his disciples, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, he's responding to a question that they raised, but he said, take heed that no one deceives you. You're going to face deception. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. This is in the context of talking about the uh, impending destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the end of the age, and and the apostles or the disciples raise a question there. uh, What are some signs that we can be looking for? And he gives them many signs in the following verses, but he begins in verse 4 by telling them, do not be deceived. There's going to be false Christs who rise up, people who say, I am the Christ. And you can easily be led astray by being deceived. Well, Paul gave some similar warnings in his letters and in his epistles about deception. And Paul warned that deception could be the very thing that causes you to lose your faith. Deception could be the very thing that causes you to turn and, and walk with the Lord no more. And speaking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says there, uh, essentially, if I might paraphrase for a moment, that I have a fear, and that fear is that you are going to lose your devotion to Christ. And if that happens, here's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen through deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure pure devotion to Christ. If you lose your devotion to Christ, it's going to be through deception, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Well, Paul also warned young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. He essentially tells Timothy that in in your work as an evangelist and your work as a preacher of the gospel, you are going to encounter those who turn their back on the faith, who depart from the faith. And when you do encounter those, the reason is they're going to be de- that they depart is because they have been deceived. First Timothy four and verse one, he says, "Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith." So Timothy, you're going to encounter those who depart from the faith. Why is that? Second half of that verse, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Indeed, deception is something that we as Christians need to be aware about. This morning, I want to bring a lesson that I've entitled, Be Not Deceived. Jesus warned his disciples not to be deceived. Paul warned the church at Corinth. Paul warned Timothy, be not deceived. There are many things that we as Christians can be deceived about. Two things I want us to talk about this morning. First off is sin and being deceived. How does does deception relate to sin? And we'll see that at the very core of sin is deception. And then secondly, we'll talk about how we can be deceived. Various ways throughout the, the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. There are some warnings in the Old Testament about deception, but we're going to focus in the New Testament of ways in which we are warned 
that you can be deceived. So let's start off by talking about sin and being deceived. How is sin related to deception? Let's turn and open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I want us to notice from Genesis 3, this is where we very, the first time we read about sin in the Bible. And I want us to notice that deception is what brought sin into the world. Genesis chapter 3, this is a story we know well. I want to take the time to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the, spirit was, or the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Again, a very familiar story of Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent. Uh, the first time we read about sin in the Bible, and we see that at the very root of this first sin was deception. I want to point out four things from this passage, what I'm calling the four stages of deception. Stage one, we see that the serpent comes to the woman and begins questioning and twisting God's word. The serpent in verse one is, is de, uh, described as being cunning. Uh, your translation may say he's crafty. He's cunning in his words. He's crafty in his words. He's uh, deceptive in his words. And he says there in verse 1, I like the, the ESV rendering of the latter half of verse 1. He said, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's questioning God's commands. And he begins to twist God's command because God didn't say you couldn't eat of any tree. And Eve well understood what God's commands were because she relays that back to the serpent in verses 2 and 3. No, there's only one tree that we're not to eat of. So the serpent begins his deception by twisting God's commands and by questioning God's commands. Did God really say that? Did God actually say that? Well, the second stage of deception we find in verse 2, and that is where you begin to completely deny God's commands. Or, I'm sorry, verse 4. Verse 4 says, And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God had told them, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And he says, you will not surely die. Second stage of deception, he denies God's commands. The third stage of deception we find in verse 5, he talks about that there are actually going to be benefits to you if you reject God's way of doing things and, and do things your own way. In verse 5, here's the benefit that you're going to receive, that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There's actually some benefit to you doing things your own way. That's the third stage of deception, talking about the benefits of rejecting God's commands. And then finally, the fourth stage of deception is completely disobeying God's commands, and that's what we find Adam and Eve doing in verse 6. So I just point this out to illustrate at the very beginning of time, in the very first sin, at the root of it was deception. I also want to point out that the nature of sin is deceitfulness. Uh, that at the very, very core of sin is deceitfulness, and that's, that's the nature of sin. Point out a few, few things about what sin does. Sin gives us a false sense of security. Now, that's deceptive. Sin gives us a false sense of security. Remember 
talking about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and that uh, faith's hall of fame pointing out the, the great characters of faith. It said that he chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Uh, your, your translation may say the temporary pleasures of sin. See, sin gives a sense, a false sense of security. It may give a temporary pleasure, but indeed it is just temporary. In Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the, uh, parable of the sower, in the explanation of it there, Jesus says that the, the thorny ground is where the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word. Now, riches uh, and money is certainly something that gives us a great deal of security. But here is, it is described as the deceitfulness of riches can be deceiving. That which we think gives us a great deal of security oftentimes gives us a false sense of security. You see, sin may initially give us a sense of security, but in the end, it's, it's full of false promises. That's the nature of sin. It gives a false sense of security. But secondly, sin gives us a false sense of freedom, not just a false sense of security. Sin enslaves us. It's described as being enslaving in John chapter 8 and verse 34. It says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You become a slave of it. Sin gives us a false sense of liberty. Now I want us to turn over and look at 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter 2, this is in, uh, in the context of talking about false teachers. And uh, Peter is giving some warnings about false teachers and how they are going to promise, promise you something. They're going to promise you liberty, promise you freedom. And oftentimes sin gives us a liberating freedom. I have the freedom to do whatever I want, but it's a false sense of freedom. Look at 2 Peter 2. Let's back up again at verse 18. It says, this again, speaking of false teachers, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, and the, one, uh, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now verse 19, when they promise them liberty, you're promised liberty, you're promised freedom. That's what sin does to us. It promises promised promises to give us a liberating feeling. When they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. It gives a false sense of freedom. You see, sin may initially give us a sense of freedom, a sense of liberty, but it is full of false freedom. Another characteristic of sin is it gives us a false sense of reality. Many times in the scriptures, sin is described as darkness. Uh, it's described as blindness. Those who are in sin are blind. So sin blinds. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, speaking of uh, about the Gentiles, Paul says, having their understanding darkened because of the ignorance that is in them because the blindness of their heart, their sin had blinded them. Sin gives us a false sense of reality. I like this quote from Wendell Winkler. He says, sin will blind one to its reality, its nature, its consequences, and also to the beauty of holiness. Indeed, Sin blinds us. We may think that sin will open our eyes, and that's often the allurement to sin. It's going to open your eyes. Remember what the serpent told Eve, that when you eat of this fruit, that you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God? Oftentimes we think sin is going to open our eyes to the world, but in the end it's full of a false reality. Sin also gives us a false sense of strength. In Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 13, 
we're told that we become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We become hardened. We become calloused. If you've ever worked with your hands, you get a blister on your hand. Uh, initially, it's, it's very painful. It bothers you. Uh, you don't want to touch it on anything. But eventually, that skin becomes hardened. It becomes calloused to the point that it's almost numb to us, uh, to where we can bump it on anything. It does, doesn't bother us. Sin does that to us. It hardens us. It callouses us to the point to where really sin doesn't, doesn't bother us like it used to bother us. We can become hardened or calloused through the deceitfulness of sin. Dan King, in his commentary on Hebrews, writes of this verse that sin by its deceitful nature is capable of hardening the sinner into a state of perpetual sinfulness. That is, we become numb to sin and it, it doesn't bother us as it used to. So we may become callous to the point that sin doesn't bother us, but it is a false strength. Indeed, sin is deceitful. Sin gives us a false sense of security, a false sense of freedom, a false sense of reality, and a false sense of strength. But I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning uh, talking about some ways and how we can be deceived. Again, there's numerous times throughout the New Testament. Uh, I'm amazed as we go through our, our studies on Sunday mornings, as we've been going through the New Testament, how many times we find the phrase, be not deceived, or do not be deceived. A lot of warnings given to us in the scriptures about how we can be deceived. Before we get into listing those ways how we can be deceived, I want to list two sources of deceit. Now we've seen that Satan is ultimately at the core and the heart of deceit, but there are really two sources to us in which we can be deceived. We can be deceived by others. We talked about false teachers. That's a warning given of uh, false teachers could come into the church. You could be deceived by false teachers, by others. First John chapter 3 and verse 7, little children let no man deceive you. Be aware of others. Others are going to try to deceive you. Others are going to lie to you. And don't let that happen. Let no man deceive you. But perhaps more importantly than being deceived by others is we can be deceived by ourselves. Now, the very nature of, of deception is it's hard to detect. Uh, it's hard to detect when others are being deceptive to you, but it's probably more often hard to detect when we are not being honest with ourselves, uh, when we are being deceptive with ourselves. And many warnings are given about that in the New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, Paul said, let no man deceive himself. That's something that's hard to detect and oftentimes hard for us to admit when we are deceiving ourselves. Demosthenes, the uh, Greek orator, said, nothing is easier than self-deceit for what each man wishes that he also believes is true. We see something or hear something that we like, that we wish was true, but really it's not. And we convince ourselves that it's true. Indeed, nothing is easier than self-deceit. Plato also said the worst of all deceptions is self-deception. Uh, and again, it's that which is oftentimes hardest for us to admit and hardest for us to detect. So we can be deceived by others. We need to be watchful for that. But certainly we need to be watchful of being deceived by ourselves, convincing ourselves. We oftentimes deceive ourselves by convincing ourselves that, that we are okay. Uh, yes, I've, I've done some wrong that I haven't made correction of, but I'm okay. You're deceiving yourselves. So let's spend the remainder of our time talking about ways we can deceive. And some of these that I'm going to list here are going to be ways in which others deceive us, and, and some of them are going to be ways in which we can deceive ourselves. So there's nine, nine things that I want to point out about uh, how we can be deceived from the Scriptures. First off, be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that passage I, I just quoted a moment ago of how you can deceive yourselves. 
One way we can be deceived is by putting confidence in human wisdom. We can deceive ourselves by putting confidence in human wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. Here's that self-deceit. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God, but it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So it begins there in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. Here's a way in which you can deceive yourself by putting confidence in human wisdom. Now the context here in the book of Corinthians is they had a problem at Corinth with, uh, with party factions and with sectarianism. If we flip back to chapter 1 in verse 12, this describes some of the problems that they were going through, or really verse 11. It says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now what are the contentions? Verse 12 tells us, now I say this, that each one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. They were putting their faith and their confidence in these preachers rather than the message in which they were preaching. And he goes on to say, is Christ divided? Christ isn't divided. So they, they, were, they had a case of what we oftentimes call preacheritis. Uh, they were just following after the man, not following after the message. They had party factions. And the problem ultimately boiled down to pride. Dad gave us a lesson last week about uh, pride. And that's what it ultimately boiled down to. Look at chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Their problem was pride. Also jump down to chapter 4 in verse 6. It says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, that none of you be arrogant. It came came down to a problem of pride. And Peter, or rather Paul tells them that the answer is that you need to become fools, that you can easily deceive yourselves into thinking, uh, putting too much confidence in the wisdom of men. So here's the point from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We can become deceived when we put, uh, we put more value on human wisdom and human thinking than on God's revelation. He said, do not deceive yourselves. We can deceive ourselves by putting confidence in human wisdom. Well, here's a second way in which we can be deceived. Let's turn over to a couple chapters over, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We can be deceived by moral decline in our society. Uh, uh, we oftentimes talk about how there is a moral decline in our society, and in a sense that's true, but there's always been a moral decline in society, even going back to Old Testament times. But we can be deceived by that because sin is, is becoming uh, more and more rampant, uh, it's more and more accepted by society, and we're going to learn here, be not deceived by the moral decline in our society. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now here's our phrase. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. This is in the context, if we uh, broaden our, our scope a little bit, verses 1 through 11 is in the context of going to law with our brethren. Verse 7 points that out. 
going to law with our brethren and cheating our brethren. And I think Paul's point here is that when you go to law with your brother and when you're cheating your brother, you're just as guilty as those who commit these sins, verses 9 and 10. Those which we would consider quite grievous sins, uh, uh, such as uh, fornication, uh, adultery, homosexuality, uh, stealing, being thieves. Uh, we, would, we would categorize those as some of the worst sins. And what uh, Paul is pointing out is that when you go to law with your brother and when you cheat your brother, you're just as guilty as those in verses 9 and 10. There's no difference. Some would have us to believe that those who practice these sins will still be saved. There's, uh, there's a push, and there's always been a push to, to accept homosexuality in the church. That, that's just the way people born. That's the way they are. Uh, and we are being led to believe that that's how they are, and, that's how, and they will be saved in that condition. So there's a twofold point that we get here from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We can be deceived in two ways. Number one, we can be deceived by thinking that those who commit lesser sins are not as guilty as those who commit major sins. That, you know, I can go to law and I can cheat my brother, but that's, that's not near as bad as some of these sins listed in verses 9 and 10. We deceive ourselves when we think that those lesser sins, that with those lesser sins we are not as guilty. But a second way in which we can be deceived is by thinking that just because society accepts immorality that God is going to accept that too. Much of these things listed in verses 9 and 10 had been accepted in Corinth. We know uh, the very next verse in verse 11, he says, And such were some of you. Some of you have accepted these types of sins. And we need to be careful that we are not deceived, that just because society accepts it doesn't mean that God will too, just because he is a loving God. So we can be deceived by the moral decline in our society. Well, let's stay in the book of Corinthians, but go over to chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's a third way in which we can be deceived. We can be deceived by thinking that we can't be influenced. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Very short verse, probably very familiar to us. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Here's another way in which we can be deceived. By thinking that we cannot be influenced. Now this is in the context of talking about uh, false teachers, if we back up to verse 12, there was false teaching regarding the resurrection, that there is no resurrection. And Paul talks about uh, if you believe that and if you tolerate teaching on that, uh, there's some things you have to accept, and that is that Jesus himself uh, was not raised from the dead. Back up and look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So this is the false teaching that was going on, that there is no resurrection. The influence of such teaching could be quite destructive. Look at verse 17. Paul is, is warning them, be careful of these, this teaching because it's going to influence you. And if you don't think it's going to influence you, we'll see later in verse 33, you're, you're deceived. But back up and look at verse 7. Here's how they'll influence you. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Uh, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in this life we have, we, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So there's some consequences to uh, believing this doctrine, some consequences to allowing, allowing this doctrine to be taught. So he goes on in verse 33, 
Do not be deceived. If you think you're not going to be influenced by this false teaching, you're deceiving yourselves. You're, you're kidding yourselves. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts. Now, that word corrupt uh, here, I, I quote from Mike Willis in his commentary on Corinthians. He says, the verb corrupt, which is from the, uh, the Greek word pathero, is a present tense verb and indicates the durative effect one's associates have on him. Namely, that he gradually and progressively destroys his own morality by associating with wicked men. That these false teachers can corrupt you. Uh, they can warp your own morality. Uh, and if you think they can't, you're deceiving yourselves. The point is, is that we deceive ourselves when we think that we can surround ourselves with the world and those of the world and, uh, and false teachers and we're not going to be influenced by them. Paul is saying, you're deceiving yourselves. And if you think they're not going to have an impact on you spiritually. Let's go a couple of books over to the book of Galatians. Here's a fourth way in which the Bible warns us that we can be deceived. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. We can be deceived by putting confidence in our own strength. And this is talking about spiritual strength here. By putting too much confidence in our spiritual strength. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Here's another self-deception, deceiving ourselves. If you think yourself to be something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Now this is in the context of talking about restoring the erring. Verse 1 uh, talks about when a, when a brother is, is overtaken, it's the duty of the spiritual man, those who are spiritually minded, to try to restore their brethren. We see that in verses 1 through 5. And in order to aid in restoring your brethren, you must have a spirit of, of humility. Back up uh, just one verse into the previous chapter. Chapter 5 and verse 26 says, Let us, let us not become conceited that you must have a spirit of humility. If you want to be useful in restoring your brethren, you must not think too highly of yourself. You must not be arrogant and puffed up. You have to have a spirit of humility and bring yourself down if you want to have an influence. One who thinks too highly of himself will be little help in restoring the erring. If you think, well, well, I'm, I'm basically perfect. I'm, uh, I'm very strong spiritually, and I'm not going to waste my time with those who are, who are just weak spiritually. Uh, if you have that type of attitude, you're going to be very little help in restoring the erring. So here's the point. We deceive ourselves when we think of ourselves as having no faults. That's what, uh, what Paul is talking about here. Verse 3, that, that if anyone thinks he is something, that is, if you think that, that you have no faults, that I'm strong, I have no faults, we deceive ourselves when we think we have no faults. And as a result, we will have little sympathy for those who do have faults. And we will be of little help in restoring those erring. So he said, do not deceive yourselves. We deceive ourselves by putting confidence in our own spiritual strength. Let's stay in the same chapter here. Uh, we'll go just a couple of verses over. Here's a fifth way in which we can be deceived. Chapter six, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We deceive ourselves by thinking that we are smarter than God. 
The context here is talking about how uh, the spiritual man, which he began talking about back in chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, how it's the duty of the spiritual man to restore the erring. Now he's talking about how the spiritual man is going to share his funds, share his money for spiritual purposes. If we back up into verse 6, it says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That word share comes from the Greek word kononeo, or kononeo, uh, which is where we get the word fellowship. Uh, and oftentimes in, in the New Testament, that word is used with reference to financial fellowship, much like uh, as, as we read the reports from time to time of men who we support, we have fellowship with them, kononeo with them. We share with them in a financial way. And that seems to be what Paul is dealing with here, that the spiritual man uses his money for spiritual purposes. And in regards to how we use our money, God is not going to be mocked. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We're not going to be able to outwit God. We're not going to be able to outsmart God. And he goes on in verse 7 talking about that we sow what we reap. When we think that we can sow uh, one kind of life uh, and that we can hide the way that we uh, uh, spend our money from God and we're still going to reap eternal life, you're, you're not smarter than God. You're deceiving yourselves if you think you can outwit and outsmart God. So the point is that we are deceived when we think we can sow one kind of life, a worldly life, and we can reap another kind of life, a spiritual life. We deceive ourselves by thinking we can mock God and thinking that we are smarter than God. But here's the sixth way in which we deceive ourselves or which we can be deceived. Let's turn to the next book, Ephesians chapter 5. We deceive ourselves by heeding empty words or vain words. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Here's deception that can come from others. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Indeed, we can be deceived by empty words. Here in the context, it's talking about how we are to be imitators of God, uh, back in verse 1. Be imitators of God as dear children. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. Where certain things uh, that we as Christians are to put off in verse 3. Uh, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Uh, goes on in verse 4, filthiness, nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, uh, but rather the giving of thanks. Here's the thing that, some things that the child of God is to put off. But there are going to be those who try to deceive you and tell you that those things are okay. There will be those who through cunning words, through empty words, through vain words, will try to tell you, that those things are okay. You don't have to put those things off. We can be deceived by empty words. The point is we are deceived when we are swayed by the words of those who try to normalize sin and to tell us it's okay. Well, everybody does it. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're not alone. There, there's plenty of other people doing the same thing. And God's a loving God. He's not going to, uh, to cast you off. He's going to, going to save you. You're, deceit, you're being deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Well, let's flip over to the book of James now. A seventh way in which we can be deceived is by thinking that God is the author of sin. We'll look at a couple, couple examples of deceit here in the book of James. James chapter 1 in verse 16. This is a 
short verse, but we'll come back and look at the context. But verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Well, what are they being deceived about? This is in the context of talking about in verses 12 through 18 where temptation comes from and where sin comes from. It comes from our own desires. If we back up and look at verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. If we back up to verse 13, let no one say I'm tempted by God. We can't blame God for our desires. We can't blame God for our sin. And we deceive ourselves when we think that God is the author of sin. While God may allow us to be tempted, he is not deliberately trying to make us stumble. Verses 17 and 18 goes on to say that only good things come from God. We know there's a difference in allowing something to happen and causing something to happen. There's a big difference in that. In verse 17, he says, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or the shadow of turning. Only good things come from God. You're deceiving yourselves when you try to blame God for your sin. So here's the point. We are deceived when we think God can be blamed for our sin. Well, God put, oftentimes when we talk about uh, those who are in, uh, have committed sexual sins, that God put that desire in my heart. Uh, if God didn't, get, didn't want me to commit that sin, why did he put that uh, evil desire in me? You're blaming God for their sin. And James here is saying you're deceiving yourselves. Do not be deceived that God is not the author of sin. Your sin is coming from within you. It's your own desires that is leading you away from God. Well, let's stay here in the book of James, uh, just a few verses over. We'll look at verse 22. Here's an eighth way in which we can be deceived, in which James warns about deception. James 1 in verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's another self-deceit. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Jump down to verse 26, another warning about deceit. He says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. We can be deceived by a false devotion to God. That is giving an outward appearance of devotion by being a, uh, a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word. That's the context that we see in verses 21 through 27, that you are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And there's a danger in thinking that we are religious. That's what it's talking about there, down in verse 26, that we give an outward appearance that we are religious, but in, inwardly we're really not devoted to God. We're deceiving ourselves by putting on that religious front. Uh, those who claim to be uh, pious, uh, you, your translation may say in verse 26, are devout. Uh, they're religious. They're putting on a front, but yet, verse 26 says, they can't even control their tongue. Uh, they act like they're religious. Uh, and that they are a Christian, but inwardly they are not. I'm reminded of what Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 28. Uh, that's where he's rebuking them and giving the woes to all the Pharisees. He says, you outwardly appear righteous, but inside you're full of hypocrisy. They're putting on a front, and we deceive ourselves uh, by, by giving a false devotion to God. We, de we are deceived when we give an outward appearance of devotion and yet practice sin. When we're a Christian only on Sundays, we show up at church, but then when we, we go out the doors, uh, the rest of the week we live our lives however we want to. You are deceiving yourselves by, giving, uh, by portraying a false devotion 
to God. Well, let's turn over to 1 John chapter 1. Here's our final uh, warning. There are many other warnings that could be given through the scriptures, but we're just pointing out nine this morning. Here's our ninth way in which we can be deceived. 1 John chapter 1, in verse 8. We can be deceived by ignoring our sins. 1 John 1 and verse 8 says that if we say that we have no sin, here's another way in which we can have self-deceit. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We can be deceived by ignoring our sins or by completely denying our sins, denying the fact that we have sinned. Now this is in the context of talking about how uh, the child of God has fellowship with God. That, uh, that word uh, for share that we, we talked about earlier, fellowship with God. Uh, it talks about living in darkness versus living in lightness uh, in the light in verses 5 through 10. Walking in light, if we back up in verse 7, it says, But he who walks in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light means that our sins will be cleansed as opposed to those who walk in darkness and deny their sin. So here's the point we learn from this. We are deceived when we view our sin as a trivial matter. Uh, when we view it as uh, something that we think that either we haven't sinned at all or I have sinned but I've hidden that sin, uh, you're deceiving yourselves. We deceive ourselves when we ignore our sin, when we think that we can hide our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Indeed, there are many warnings given to us throughout the scriptures about deception. And here we see just nine. We deceive ourselves by putting confidence in human wisdom. We deceive ourselves by the moral decline in our society. We deceive ourselves by thinking that we can't be influenced. We deceive ourselves by putting confidence in our own spiritual strength. We deceive ourselves by thinking that we are smarter than God. We deceive ourselves by heeding empty words by thinking that God is the author of sin, we deceive ourselves by a false devotion to God and by ignoring our sin. Be not deceived. That's the warning that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. As you're watching for signs about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, keep your head on a swivel because there are going to be those who try to deceive you. Be not deceived. Paul warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, that I'm afraid that you're going to lose your devotion to Christ, and if you do so, it's because of deceit. He warned young Timothy, in, in preaching the gospel, you're going to encounter those who depart from the faith, and if they do so, it's because of deceit. All of us need to keep our head on a swivel and be watchful for areas of deceit in, which, in ways in which the Christian can be deceived. There may be those here uh, this morning who perhaps you were uh, once a faithful follower of Christ, but maybe you've been led away through deception. You've been deceived in some way. Uh, maybe uh, Satan has deceived you. Others have deceived you. Maybe you've deceived yourself into thinking that, uh, that you are okay. Uh, but if you need to uh, make correction of those things, we can pray with you and for you that your sins be forgiven. And maybe those here this morning who need to uh, be buried in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away, and we can assist you with that as well. If you would come now as we stand and sing.